Growing your business is tough, but don't worry, we've got you covered. We interview industry experts on how they've solved their most challenging business problems in SaaS or e-commerce. No fluff, just step-by-step playbooks to help you dominate your market and crush the competition. This is the How We Solve Podcast. Here's your host. Hey everyone, Dave here at the How We Solve Podcast. I'm talking with Liam Brennan, one of the co-founders of BusterBox, a doc subscription box service that has thousands of subscribers in multiple markets. Liam, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Dave. Uh, Thanks for having me on the podcast. No, my pleasure. I haven't talked with any subscription services yet, as far as I remember. And of course, I do love dogs, so I'm expecting kind of an exciting conversation here. I'd like to hear about how you got started on on this idea, because, uh, you know, I mean, most of us think of businesses aimed at humans. And obviously, you know, the dog owner is the one who is subscribing and paying the bills. I, I do understand that. But yet, you know, this is this is still a pet niche business. So talk us through a little bit about your background and how you ended up uh, where you are. So the idea for the business originally came back towards the end of 2015. We saw myself and my business partner, Paul, were eager to set something up. And we always wanted to set something up. And we heard about Birchbox in the US. Uh, They're obviously doing makeup and stuff with the subscription model, and they're very, very successful with it. So we're like, "Mm, I wonder, could we apply that to dogs? So we looked into it further, kind of went down the rabbit hole, and pretty much decided we wanted to go for it. So we got in touch with another one of our friends who was over in Canada at the time, Gary, said to him, would he be interested in partnering? with us um, on the idea and the three of us will give it a go. He said, yeah, and that was pretty much it. We went for it and very, very quickly. That was in December 2015 and our first box shipped in April 2016. So it took us a while to uh, get logistics in place and to get everything ready. I definitely want to talk about the logistics side of things because I feel like that's an important aspect of this business in particular. But before doing that, you know, just a little bit about the co-founders. So do you guys all come from different backgrounds that kind of made it make sense for the three of you to get together or are you just kind of three friends and, you know, why not? So we're actually three friends who grew up together. Uh, Paul lives a couple of houses down from me and Gary lives around the car. We all went to school together and we always kind of had ambitions to set up a business I had attempted multiple other businesses beforehand, some of them more successful than others, but overall, I would say the majority of them pretty much flopped. I was kind of jumping around idea to idea, couldn't really get anything moving, couldn't really get anything to scale up. Um, And then, but from every single thing that we failed with, I was learning more pieces of information along the way. And then eventually, I just knew with Box, it was going to work. I just knew it was going to work before we even really got into it. And but obviously there was challenges around the way. Paul used to be a sales rep um, and Gary has a pharmaceutical degree and he worked in customer service. I used to work in, well, on the Microsoft contract for Microsoft uh, Surface in the support center. I was a manager in there for a few years while I was trying many different things. That was pretty much it. We all came together and we gave it a go. 
Awesome. Okay. So yeah, diverse backgrounds, but it's not, uh, you know, your typical, Hey, some guys are developer, some guys, this or that type of a thing. Um, so let's get into logistics and I, you know, just, uh, to be clear. So, uh, cause I don't even know if, if I've properly defined this, you know, Buster box is, it is a monthly subscription that sends dog treats to dog owners, uh, to keep their pets happy every month with fresh new treats. Am I describing it correctly? Yeah, that's pretty much it. So somebody can sign up, they'll pick the sides of their dog. We have different sides, boxes, depending on the breed. They'll pick small, medium, or large. Then they'll decide how long they want to sign up for. They might want a rolling monthly subscription. They might want to commit for six or 12 months. They commit for a longer period of time. They get a discount. Um, and then they decide if they want to pay extra for an extra premium toy pay like seven euro extra um, every month then the box contains uh, healthy treats and fun toys that you typically won't find in the pet shop awesome yeah i love it i love the pictures uh on the website as well with the football and the dalmatians and everything you know and i did, wasn't aware that you know like you mentioned there's some customization here based on you know the dog size and the breed and things like that so let's get in that conversation logistics i'm imagining you have like different types of boxes because you've mentioned customization on on the breed and the size and and whatnot and these are being shipped to people you know all across uh ireland uk every month you've got to kind of create the boxes uh, get, get, get the right boxes in the right hands. Um, is that as hard as it sounds? <laughs> yeah, like it actually is. We have it down to a T now, but it actually is difficult enough because there are so many different variations of boxes. On the front end, it's only medium or small, medium, and large. But as customers come in, they want to customize things for their dog. Their dog may have an allergy. He may be a strong chewer. He may only like certain toys. He might be a puppy. And we try to cater for everybody to the best of our ability. Um, and that complicates things on the back end. But our kind of motto is we like to keep it on the front end, to keep it simple on the front end so it doesn't harm conversions. And then when you actually get the customer into your system and they've signed up, we can cater to them then. Um, and we can send out like different sized boxes. But we actually, we do all of our fulfillment in ourselves, in our warehouse. And we have a big warehouse and we have people in there who pack boxes for us. May outsource the fulfillment in the future. But for now, it's actually more cost effective to just handle it ourselves. That's very interesting. So, and to your point, like it's always a great idea to reduce friction up front with the customer, keep the options really simple. And then once they've signed up, uh, they've committed some degree of, of themselves to the service, then allow them to kind of do that customization because, you know, that's still what people want in the service. So the warehouse, you know, the choice between doing it in-house versus outsourcing. I mean, often, usually people think of outsourcing as the cheaper variation. That's, you know, why, why people often do that as opposed to kind of doing it in-house, whereas, you know, doing it in-house is for more control and stuff like that. So just tell us a little bit about the fulfillment process and, and how, you know, why you decide to set it up um, yourselves and, and kind of what it looks like. So the good thing about subscription is like one of the big challenges for straight e-commerce is bringing the stock into cash. You can always be left with stock in your warehouse with us. We know pretty much down to a T how many boxes are going to be going out on a monthly, uh, on a monthly cycle. So Paul takes care of the products and he can like order the exact amount. They'll all arrive in at the start of the month and then by the 15th of the month, 95% of that stock will be gone back out and it'll be turned into cash. 
So it's much easier to manage the cash flow. For fulfillment, the reason why we didn't do it, it's a couple of reasons really. We priced it up and it was actually more cost effective um, for us to do it up until a certain level. And then you get to the level where it becomes a pain. You have to keep buying or finding bigger warehouses. You have to keep finding new people to come in and work for you. It becomes too much of a headache. But at the level we're at, um, it makes perfect sense for us to uh, to actually do it. And yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Oh yeah, and because it was quite complicated, some of the boxes that we were sending out. So we wanted to kind of perfect that strategy before we passed it over to somebody else. If you do uh, decide to go the route of outsourcing, you know, your fulfillment, do you think you'll keep it in Ireland and will you have to give up some of the customization you've been doing or you're confident you'll be able to maintain it? No, we'll have to keep the customization because that's essential to our churn. We want to make the experience um, the best that possibly can for the customer. And we want to provide the box that actually suits uh, their dog. Otherwise, people will just cancel. So we'll have to keep that up. It may have to leave Ireland in the future, depending on what happens with Brexit. That's a, a pretty big challenge for us because we have like, I don't know, things like 70% of our customers in the UK. So it may get to the point where we have to just move our UK fulfillment to the UK, depending on what happens with Brexit. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? Just because I know not everybody's like super familiar with the implications of Brexit. It wouldn't mean that you would not be allowed to ship to the UK or there'd be additional levies or taxes that would make it not cost prohibitive. What's kind of going on there? So we get a lot of our stock from the UK. um, And this this is all kind of up in the air. I think it's pretty much been decided at this point. But the pandemic obviously kind of slowed it down. People haven't really been talking about it as much. But uh, we'd have to pay tax on the products coming in. Then we'd have to pay it again on it going out. And there's a lot more paperwork and stuff. So on top of the implications to our margin, it just becomes a lot more hassle filling out this paperwork. So we need to price it up. But it may be more cost effective and easier for some real things to the UK. But sure, we'll see what happens. We're prepared anyway for any scenario. Awesome. I mean, you know, uh, it's good good that you're prepared, obviously. It's not awesome that, that you're dealing with this type of uh, bureaucratic, uh, you know, I- intervention, but fair enough. Let's talk a little bit about customer acquisition because you said you got your first customer in April after starting December. How did you get your first couple customers? And what have you done since then to come up with a more scalable solution to customer acquisition? At the start, we never really had a clue what we were doing with Facebook ads. I was... Um, I was pretty fam- uh, familiar with Google AdWords when we were starting this because I used it in the past on a few different things. But unfortunately, it just wasn't viable for this business because people weren't actually searching for dog subscription boxes. It was a product people wanted to buy, but they'd have to see it in front of them before they realized that they actually wanted to buy it. So Facebook has always been powerful for us, but we never really knew how to do ads properly. We were just burning money, ads were going out, we were getting like we we're signing customers up for like 70 euro a customer. I think it was. It got to the point where we just started talking to people and um, one by one. If they like commented on a post on our page, like we'd run competitions and stuff, we talk to people one by one, see if they wanted to sign up, and we get people on our email list through competitions and stuff. We'd send out emails and like we we're gradually getting few customers here and there but it was nothing to be 
proud of like you wouldn't re- you wouldn't rebuild a business with it. You'd be sitting on the computer all day and getting a handful of people signed up. And um, then we discovered chat bots before they became a thing. Before everyone was using them, we found the strategy on Facebook where we could send out posts. We could generate thousands of leads and then have the chatbot talk to the people one by one. And because we had already spent so much time talking to people ourselves, we kind of knew the sign-up flow, which would convert people. So things really took off with that. And I think think we got up to about 50 grand a month just from using chatbots. That was it. Um, And then Facebook changed the rules around engagement baiting because so many people were using chatbots. They wanted people to pay for messenger ads to get people into the sequence. But the cost per lead went up from, I think it was a 30 cent to 150. So it just wasn't viable anymore. And the impact that had on our overall customer acquisition cost went through the roof. So then we had to really perfect just normal Facebook advertising. We spent a lot of time working on that, testing things, trying different copy, trying different videos. And yeah, we pretty much cracked it at this stage. We acquire thousands and thousands of people off Facebook and pretty much built our whole business on Facebook ads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting to hear about, obviously, the evolution of, of you on that platform. I assumed uh, you know, the story was going to end when you talked about you know figuring out how chatbots kind of really made it work. And then you said that the algorithm changed, which is unfortunately not uncommon with certain, you know, when you work off of certain platforms like Facebook, uh, they can kind of do what they want, uh, whenever they want. They're trying to make themselves money, right? So when they see something working, maybe somebody kind of getting something for not a lot, they, they usually try to clamp down on that. Uh, and then kind of shifting to, like you said, the more traditional approach i mean what were some of the insights regarding like copy and the messaging design that helped um, get you guys the lower cost of acquisition that you needed to make it work so our whole thing is direct response marketing that's pretty much how we built the entire business and we don't really focus on branding it's too expensive really not interested in likes video views any of that doesn't interest me at all. All I really care about is sales. All of that stuff can come once you actually get your sales. And so it was all about perfecting direct response marketing. Everything will be measurable. You'll always make an offer to the customer. You'll always have incentive to get somebody to respond immediately. You're going to put it in front of a high potential prospect. And all the type of stuff that the direct response marketers have been doing for a very, very long time in mail order just pretty much took that and put it into Facebook ads. Yeah, makes sense. Cool. So that's customer acquisition. I want to hear a little bit about churn. You mentioned it earlier uh, when we were talking how important customization was to reducing churn. And since you do have a subscription business, churn is particularly important. So tell us a little bit about you know the, the reasons behind why people churn and, and some of the steps you've taken to reduce it. With a subscription box, normally the churn will be a lot higher compared to a SaaS company because you're sending people a box of stuff that they don't necessarily need month on month. They might sign up for, I don't know, like 10 months, 14 months, but eventually they get to the point where they just don't need the box anymore. And that's pretty common um, across the entire industry. But you have to kind of look on the positives as well because typically with a subscription box, you can sign people up a lot quicker than a SaaS company. And the customer acquisition cost is usually a lot cheaper 
if you have it, your customer acquisition um, perfected. So you really need to maximize the potential of each customer who comes in for the amount of time that they're actually going to be there. So you have to make the experience unbelievable for them. You have to read the data. We get so much data sent into us every month through multiple channels, through our customer support, through surveys we send out, through comments on social media. We kind of look at that and we look at the type of toys and treats that people actually want in the boxes. We do our best to um, to facilitate that. We also try to make things as unique and cool for the owner as well. So it's not only the dog getting excited, but the owner is like, well, we've never seen toys like this before in the pet shop. This is pretty cool. I can't wait for the next month to get another box from these people. And then obviously throughout the lifetime of the subscription, you can sell the customer other products as well for their dog. Because we know they have a dog, we know they're going to need food. We have a dog food subscription as well and a number of other products. Then when you get around to Christmas time, you can sell like dog gift baskets and stuff. A lot of our current uh, subscribers will buy them. That will push up the customer lifetime value. And yeah, that's pretty much it. Make it convenient for the customer. Listen to feedback, read the data and make it affordable as well. Yeah, I love how you simplify it because uh, so, so many people kind of are, are struggling with this and it is hard on the one hand, but on the other hand, it is like, hey, are you collecting data? Are you listening to what the customers are saying? You know, what 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 toys in this case do they like? Which ones do they not like? Um, and then, you know, what kind of changes are you making just to make it like a better customer experience? And then, you know, a lot of uh, improving customer lifetime value is, is a large part of, of making the whole thing viable as well. And so these other services you mentioned, like a food service, subscription or gift baskets uh, also great great ideas when you know you have this audience and you know one thing about them that they all have in common is they all have a dog uh, and they're willing to spend money on them so uh, that's uh, it does make it nice to, to to be able to do that so tell us what's next for buster box at the minute we're just going to continue growing in the uk market it's a very very big market we have a good amount of people signed up but there's a lot more dogs we can reach then possibly in the future, we'll look into maybe Europe. We're actually crowdfunded at the moment too. And um, we have, we went live, I think last week, 25% of our target reached, I think the last time um, we checked. So once we secure that funding, it will just be pumped into making things better for the customer with more unique toys. We're actually going to start getting our own toys made. Then the rest of it will be put into marketing. To scale up as quickly as we can. Very cool. Uh, well, let us know. Let me know when you when you break into the American market. <laughs> <laughs> and I also need to get a dog, but <laughs> so <it's two laughs> things have to happen. <laughs> yeah. Thanks so much. But uh, really interesting talking about Buster Box, learning about the subscription model. For people who want to get in touch with you, where should they go? They can reach out to me at leemmichaelbrennan at live.ie. If you have a subscription box and you're looking to like grow your company rapidly or you're looking to start one yourself, we actually do a bit of consulting on my side too. We've loads of different subscription boxes that we've helped. I actually have a subscription box course, which is coming out at the end of the week. So you can check that out at subscriptionboxexperts.com. If you want something to do with Busterbox, leave at Busterbox.com. 
Cool, man. It sounds like you're you guys are doing everything out there. <laughs> we were just talking about dogs, and now you're like uh, tackling the subscription market as well. I mean, very meta. Um, yeah, yeah, we have a yeah, we have a group, and um, a good amount of people in it in, on Facebook, subscriptionboxresources.com. I'm actually I'm flat out. To be honest with you, I'm literally I'm just working around the clock. I don't even know where the time is going. I'm getting up in the morning, and then suddenly I look at the time. It's nine o'clock at night. Getting off the computer, we're going for a walk. Same thing again. So hopefully it all pays off. Anyway, I think it will. It looks like it's you know it's going great, and uh, you, you're working on a lot of different angles here. So again, thanks very much for your time, Liam. I think everybody got a lot out of it, and best of luck. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Have a good day. Okay. Is your sales team spending too much time researching leads and accounts? We take over all the labor-intensive sales development tasks so your team can focus on building relationships and closing more deals. We don't just build lists. We take a strategic research-based approach to find your team qualified leads every day. Ready to start? Schedule your free consultation at taskdrive.com. That's T-A-S-K-D-R-I-V-E dot com. Thanks for listening to the How We Solve podcast. Dominate your market and crush the competition with our step-by-step playbooks. Subscribe right now in your favorite podcast player or visit howwesolve.com.